Welcome to the Flint Catholic Podcast. I'm Father Tony Smila. And I'm Michael Hasso. Don't forget to subscribe to us. Check us out on YouTube if you're still listening to us on the podcast. You know, check us out on the YouTube. Yeah. Uh, Flint Catholic Podcast on YouTube. You got to see what Father Tony's wearing. The latest. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Not to mention... Are you wearing the same shirt as last week? I might be. You I don't might know. be. I was I was wondering that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because sometimes I'm like I'm really tempted to go back and watch the YouTube <laughs> just to, What was just the wearing that day? Are we wearing the same thing again? No, I'm like I I really do need to make note of the <laughs> I don't have that problem. I w- I know, I know. <laughs> It's it's kind of an unfair advantage of the vocation, I guess. Oh, no <laughs> doubt. And I take full advantage of this. This yeah. is it's awesome. I love not having to choose what to wear every day. Yeah, it's great. For sure. <laughs> it's all it's all great. So, uh subscribe to us. The appropriate number of stars f- for rating us is 5. So, don't forget about that. Um if uh if it's if you think we're not worth 5 stars, either don't rank us or lie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. Those are the best options. I think those are the best options in that order. Just don't rank us if you don't want to give us five stars. Um, So podcast, YouTube, and uh, here we go. So So what are we talking about today? We're talking about circuses. Circuses. Yeah, you may have seen the title, circuses. Um, So very quickly, PillarCatholic.com is becoming like one of my favorite places. And... And really, I do want to give them a shout out. So they're a Substack. So it's five dollars a month to subscribe to their Substack. You get a newsletter to them. Uh, they've got a podcast. They've got a lot of good content. And what I like about supporting them is that they have a combination of three things that I find not only rare. I don't think I've ever seen it before. First one is good journalism. They've got, <laughs> and we're talking about circuses. And you'll see, like this is an example of all three. It's good journalism. Uh, number two is positivity like it's yeah. it's i don't see negative articles in this it's all really positive and hey what's the best spin we can take out of this? what's the most charitable outlook we can have on these things and it's great like i don't leave the website feeling down and like angry and angsty it's could you fantastic. imagine for a second if there was a mainstream news source that operated like <laughs> oh man man and then the third one so we've got uh what was the first one i said uh, posi- good, journalism. good journalism, good journalism, yeah. positivity, positivity, and orthodoxy. You can really yeah. tell when they write these articles and when they're on their podcast, you can tell they love the church. Yeah. And it's so great to have all three of those things in one place. It's rare to see a combination of yeah. all three of those. So uh, the pillar is just is really good on that. So I really want to showcase them again. And, you know, we'll give them a free plug. Spend $5 a month and, and su- support them. Uh, it's just a few. I think there's four people on staff there just doing all the journalism. Oh, wow. And uh, and I think their only income is through the Substack, $5 a month. So, wow. Yeah. You're actually encouraging me to check them out now. <laughs> you should. They're great. I, I think this is what our generation also is really good at, supporting people like this, supporting yeah. you know small organizations like this that, that we believe in. Yeah. So, so the, the one that caught my eye recently was entitled The Pope and the Circus. And I'm like, okay. Seems like they go together, logically. Clown masses, right? (laughs) No clown masses. In fact, they actually do mention clown masses in the the article. I'll let you know where. Um, But (laughs) so uh, as a a Catholic and a video gamer myself, 
this is this is really what kind of drew me to it. So Pope Francis drew the attention of video gamers last week after the Italian Roni Roller Circus Troupe performed at a Wednesday papal audience in the po- in the Paul VI Hall. Gamers took note of the performance because uh, acrobats and jugglers performed Megalovania, a track from a popular video game Undertale. So I've I've not played the game Undertale, uh, but I do know the song really well. It's like big in pop culture, at least in the video game pop culture, whatever that's worth. Uh, <laughs> And uh, uh, hopefully, if uh, if I get this right, we will splice in some video uh, for this this actually happening uh, right now. Hopefully, that worked. If not, it's gonna, wow. That, that was, was a so really good. awkward moment. That was so good. <laughs> it was so good only if it worked. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how good my editing skills are. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so what we just saw uh, was uh, an, a papal audience uh, circus troupe performing. Now, why do we talk about that? Because this is not a rare thing. Like, this isn't a one-off. This happens pretty frequently, actually, with uh, the popes, papal audiences, and circus troops. Why is that? So, 1970, Pope St. Paul VI established a new Vatican office, the Pontifical Commission on the Spiritual Care of Migrants and Itinerants. So, overseen by the Congregation for Bishops, the office was charged with overseeing and encouraging the church's pastoral ministry to refugees, nomads, sailors, pilots, and to exiles. Okay, what does this have to do with circuses? Hmm. We're getting there. Perhaps surprisingly, the Pope's mandate creating the office also specifically mentioned traveling circus people. Wow. Yeah, oddly specific, but yeah, again, there's a reason for it. Well, and you know, it's funny because it, just like that description, it kind of reminded me of the movie... Um, Oh shoot! What, what what is it with Hugh Jackman the the recent uh, oh, the Greatest Showman? The greatest showman. showman. Yeah, thanks, Pax. Movie, sorry, <laughs> thanks, yeah. Pax. But anyway, it's all about circuses. It's about it. I don't know how closely it is, but it's it's at least loosely based on P.T. Barnum, hmm. um, interesting Barnum Circus and stuff like that. So anyway, just like the description, it kind of reminded me of like the the outcasts, the mm-hmm. the exiles, stuff like that. So yeah, that's interesting. So Pope John Paul II reestablished commission in 1988. Uh, and uh, so among its projects was to host several conferences for priests, religious who traveled with circus families, and especially in Europe. So what's really the connection with, with Rome, the connection especially with the Vatican, is many traveling circus troops in Europe were founded by nomadic Romani people, often called gypsies, who were faced ethnic discrimination in Europe for centuries. Even as families from other nationalities joined in the act, circus folk have historically faced discrimination and prejudice, living on the edges of European society and rarely putting down roots. Um, When, if you ever go to Rome, you see gypsies, um, these people everywhere. They're they're all over the place. And um, it's not a bad thing. And Pope Francis has actually, he's really made it a, a concerted effort to reach out to them, to talk to them, to talk about them, to let people know, hey, these people are here. We need to make sure we care for them. And he's really done a great job in, in reaching out to, uh, to them. Uh, and uh, that's something that I, I see especially Pope Francis doing and, and seeing this connection here with that. Uh, I think it's an important thing to, for us yeah. to keep remembering too, right? That, uh, for that group of people, they're known in their area, but who are those in our area as well? So seeing the, the Vatican in a very specific way reach out and minister to these people. So yeah. the way the Vatican sees this is a ministry to them. And I think that's an important thing to remember too. So in 2004, Pope John Paul II told circus performers that 
your profession can be a privileged opportunity to proclaim authentic human values in the world squares. In an age in which nothing seems to count but the frenzy of production and the accumulation of wealth, the gifts of joy and festivity are a real witness to those non-material values essential to life, to a life of brotherhood and gratuitousness. Wow. Isn't that awesome? This is like a whole whole new dimension of the church's <laughs> ministry. Right? I'm well, I guess not new in in many ways, but just like I don't know, I'm I'm just like really impressed that popes of the past and and clearly multiple have seen the need for the marginalized right. e- like in, who in places, thinks about this? Right. In places we never would have thought about. Yeah. yeah. It's like there there's all these like you know, different lay ministries and stuff that are popping up nowadays to serve all sorts of people doing wonderful, wonderful things. I have never heard of a ministry to circus yeah, people. <laughs> no doubt. It's, it's so this is wild. awesome. It's pretty well. And not only that, but it's been, we've been doing this um, for over a hundred years now. Yeah. Like I mentioned the 1970s. We're going to go back even further. 1890. Pope Leo XIII met with American performance troupe, the Buffalo Bill Wild West Show, in Sala Regia, a state hall in the Apostolic Palace. That meeting was arranged by Monsignor William O'Connell, the, then the rector of the Pontifical North American College, who later became the Cardinal Archbishop of Boston. So there's, there was actually an image wow. in the article of this happening, and it's it's pretty wild. Like It's it's cool, so you should check that out, too. Uh, Buffalo Bill Cody, this, this is my favorite part, too, by the way. Uh, Buffalo Bill Cody, a Wild West showman, was not Catholic at the time of his papal audience, but many of the Native Americans in his performance troupe were, and according to press accounts at the time, they brought rosaries and other sacred objects to be blessed by the Pope. Cody was baptized a Catholic the day before he died, in January 1917, almost three decades after his visit with Pope Leo XIII. Wow. Right. It gives me chills. That's, <laughs> I know. That's fantastic. So uh, just in the, in the last part of the article here, uh, for more than two decades, Father Jerry Hogan was the United States National Circus Chaplain. Wow. I didn't that, know there was such a thing. That's, that's why I mention it. Uh, yeah. Spending most of his time on the road offering masses for circus performers and carnival workers, uh, the current National Circus Chaplain is Father Frank Cancro, a Charlotte priest who performed as a circus clown before he was ordained. <laughs> That we is all awesome. come from different <laughs> places, right? So, my my first, uh, if if I can't join Elon Musk and and claim uh, Mars for the Diocese of Lansing, yeah, this is a good plan B for me, to be the yeah. National Circus Chaplain. Yeah, but first I want to go to Mars and claim the entirety of Mars for the Diocese of Lansing. That's like Plan A. So Elon, Plan hit, A, hit me up. I'm ready <laughs> to go. Let's do this. So. I, I bring this article out and just because there's so many dimensions of our faith, so many dimensions of what the church has done and what is what it is doing, and per- perhaps to encourage us to think outside the box. Yeah. Think outside what we normally think of as ministry, as, as w- what's God calling us to? Yeah, and that's what I was just going to say is I, I feel like in a way it's like the Pope's sort of discipling the church in yeah. a way because, like I said before, who's thinking of this? Yeah. Who's thinking of this? They're, and they're doing it. It's almost like, like I would just imagine being in um, any of these popes' position. Like, how do you even have the time to think to yourself? Like, let's let's minister to these people. Like, how do you, 
what does that even look like as right. a pope on, on like that sort of scale? But yeah. they found a way to do it. Yeah. I, I've got to be a shepherd of the whole world. Yeah. But I'm going to think of this in this moment here. Yeah. Right. Like there's so much on your mind. Yeah. I don't know. And there's so many other good causes too that they're taken up with. Yeah. But I, and I love how you pointed out too of like that connection to Rome and stuff like that. And yeah, I think that's a really important yeah. ministry yep. for the church in that way. Yep. That's awesome. And a good connection to video games too. Which yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. All right, so that's all we got for this segment. I'll have a few announcements in between and then uh, jump into our next section, which you will lead, yep. Lexio Divina. Welcome back to the Flint Catholic Podcast. Yeah, this side, we're talking about Lexio Divina. So that sounds, that sounds like Latin. Yeah, it is. It okay. is Latin. Let's talk. So Lexio Divina, it's Latin for divine reading. It sounds very fancy. It sounds like nerdy black belt Catholicism, probably. It sounds kind of nerdy reading. Yeah, it does sound like that. It's not. It's actually very, it's a very simple way of praying with scripture. Um, and it's simple because it's so... It's so straightforward and it's so clear, as we'll find out later in the segment. Yeah. But I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the history behind this because it's actually a really fascinating history. I I learned a lot of this, actually, doing research for this segment. Um, and this first part, a lot of this comes from beingdisciples.com. And they say, the history of Lectio Divina begins with the teaching of the third century theologian Origen. Scripture origin taught is more than writing about God. God is actually present in Scripture. He said, and this is probably the key part, he said, prayer and relationship with God was more important to understanding Scripture than study. And if we read with an understanding that God is really present, God will speak to us personally. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, when we read scripture it's it's not about studying the scripture it's about praying yeah. the scripture yeah yes totally agree yeah like even even the the term like bible study like it kind of gets me because it's not like first and foremost it's not about study it's not the intellectual pursuit yeah yeah and he, i'll say even even when you even if you are like a scripture scholar or something what he's saying as one of you know, the theologians of the church, he's saying, even for them, it's not about the study so much as it is the relationship, the dialogue with God, the diving yeah. deep into scripture. Not that it's not important. It's just, it takes second yeah. place to the relationship. Yep. And it, and it, uh, it's the relationship that feeds it and, uh, and allows it to go, allows the study to even go much deeper. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, and then they say, St. Benedict built upon Origen's teaching and encouraged a, th a slow, thoughtful, reflective reading of Scripture. Benedict was the first to, term to use the term Lectio Divina. So we're, I mean, Origen is like, what, 2nd, 3rd century around? 300s, yeah, okay. somewhere in there. So pretty early. And then Benedict builds upon it. He's 6th century, the father of mon monasticism. Um, 
So this is going way back. I actually didn't realize that Origin was also, you know, he he kind of played a, a role in developing Lexu Divina. Um, and then it goes further. Benedict taught his students to read passages four times, each with a different focus. And this is where, if you're familiar with Lexu Divina, it's going to sound, this will sound very, very familiar. It says, first they would listen to the general meaning of the passage and ask what word, phrase, or image stood out. In the second reading, they would pay attention to how, how they respond to the word or image, specifically how their hearts are responding. The third reading focused on a response. How would they respond to what God was stirring in their hearts? And then in the final reading, they would simply rest in God, letting the words wash over them in the presence of God. So I'll talk about this a little bit more in depth later, but essentially they're going from like what we've talked about before of meditation of like diving deep into the words of scripture itself. And then that like really diving deep on into that and having a conversation with God, which then leads into contemplation, which is just like resting in God's presence. So all of those sound like fancy words, but essentially it's just, a conversation with God mm-hmm. that leads to resting in his presence. Yep. So um, then it says, this practice of Lectio Divina was so important to Benedict that it became a central element in his rule of life. And his four-step structure has been the foundation of the discipline of Lectio Divina ever since. And then there is a third figure who is central to this. And this is actually the one that I've heard most often associated with Lectio Divina. And hopefully you know how to say this name better than oh, I do. Oh, I was really excited <laughs> to hear you say it for the first time. This is your segment. You got to yeah. roll with it. Just, so, just sound and, confident and no one will know the difference. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so in the 12th century, Guigo II, a Carthusian monk, built on Benedict's foundation and introduced the formal steps of Lectio Divina um, and wrote the book The Ladder of Monks. You can actually still get that today. The Ladder of Monks. Huh? Yeah. I'm assuming the image in my head is not the image he's looking <laughs> for. <laughs> Thinking of like a giant ladder made of monks. Yeah. But that's probably what he meant by that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that out. The Ladder of Monks. Uh, so anyway, Guigo actually, um, he named those four stages. Uh, and so what those four stages are, I'll give them in Latin, but then I'll explain them in, in simple terms later. It's lectio, meditatio, oratio, contemplatio. So essentially, lectio is Latin for word. Meditatio, Latin for meditation. I know. (laughs) This is really, (laughs) really complicated stuff. Oratio sounds like oration, speaking. So it's conversation with God. And then, um, what did I say the last one? Contemplatio. Contemplatio. So contemplation. So Resting. Yeah. So just like what they sound like. So he actually came up with those names and sort of uh, made it a little bit more formal structure. Um, and so this is really interesting, too, because the the practice of Lectio Divina, it was adopted by a lot of different orders like the Benedictines, the Carthusians, um, the Dominicans. I think the Franciscans did as well. It it really sort of took over the monastic tradition in a lot of everybody, ways. Everybody did it. Yeah, and even to the point where it was adapted by a large number of Protestant Christians, including the Puritans and John Calvin. 
John Kelvin was a huge fan of Lexio Divina. I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. So cool. it's a pretty big deal. So um, as I was doing my research, and this part was really completely new to me. I didn't, I didn't know this, but there's actually two different types of Lectio Divina. And, and they come in part from these two different traditions. So you have, you have St. Benedict, and then you have like Guigo, and they're sort of, they're really like different styles yeah. of Lectio. It's essentially the same process. Uh, you know, fundamentally, they're, it's really the same thing. Um, but essentially, you have the scholastic, which is, you know, the older form, like the St. Benedict style. And it was more like consecutive steps. Like you do the Lectio, then the Medit... You know, it was very, like, very structured in a way. But then you had the, um, then you had what was the more like, uh, I think they refer to it here as like the monastic tradition of Lectio Divina, which is what Guigo developed. And it was more like, um, it was much more fluid. Like it wasn't so, it wasn't so rigid, like step one, step two, step three. Mm -hmm. It was more like a moment passing from, you know, focusing on the word into meditation. You like it, it was just more free flowing where, where you might go from one to another and then back to a different stage. And, yeah. and so the interesting part about all of this is that that's part of why Lexio Divina is seen as more of an individual practice. Like it was practiced privately in order that it would actually be more spontaneous and guided by the Holy Spirit. So the intent was that because of because of the fluidity of it that you were throughout the process responding to the promptings of the holy spirit on how to pray with the scripture so you you approach it differently you have the same fundamental structure but you're always listening to the holy spirit on how to pray through the passage but there was also um and this was used more with like i think more with the scholastic tradition where it was where it was more structured but that was used more in like group settings. Mm -hmm. So there was actually yep. a tradition of like group Lectio Divina, uh, which I personally hadn't heard a lot about. I, I do a lot of Lectio Divina with college students and young adults. Um, I think it's awesome. It's a great way of drawing people into prayer, including people that are like really unfamiliar with prayer. Like, and this is why I say Lectio Divina, it's not like, it's not like the advanced Christianity, like, you, you know, it's not like something that only, you know, only the Holy Father prays, <laughs> you know, stuff right. like that. It's actually very simple. I, I remember one time I was, um, I was actually with a group of eighth graders from St. John Vianney, and we had them at Dorothy's, and I asked the teacher, I was like, hey, have they ever done Lexio Divina before? Because we just had like a little bit of time to pray together um, and talk and stuff like that. And he gave me the look like, no. <laughs> like, that's a little too advanced. I wasn't the teacher, by the way. <laughs> it wasn't me. So, so he was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, don't worry. And so we went through it. None of them had ever done Lexio Divina before. And I... I asked for a show of hands afterwards. I, I'm pretty sure every single student there said they heard God speak to them. Wow. 
every single person. And if yes. you if you heard their responses, because I I asked them, so what what sort of things did God say to you? And it was it was just like some of the most amazing stuff. It like it it was just so clear to me that God was speaking to them, yeah. and that they were recognizing it their first time ever doing it. That's so cool. Yeah, I, that's one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of Lexio Divina because I I am convinced God. The, one of the easiest paths for God to speak to us is through the scriptures. Yeah. Just plain and simple. But if there's ever a moment in my own spiritual life where I'm struggling to hear yeah. God speak, I turn right to the scriptures. And that's yeah. like a no-brainer to me. And so to to give that, like, not only is it not advanced spirituality, like, this is like every yeah. moment of our lives we need this type of spirituality. Yeah. And anybody can do it. Yeah. In my opinion, I think this should be taught in every RCIA, every catechism oh, yeah. class. Like, I, I don't know how how young this should start being taught, but I just know from my experience with 13-year-olds, I think it could be done a lot younger than that. Sure. And and it can it can be transformative for sure. Like I I've had so many stories of especially college students and you'll see why later when as we like go through the format in just a minute. But I've had so many students that because of Lectio Divina, it led them to some action like reconciling with a family member or you know it led them down a path of pursuing a vocation or all these sorts of things and one of the beautiful things about Lectio is that um, although you don't have to do it with scripture exclusively there are are different forms of it but it is so powerful to do with scripture because it sort of like puts the guardrails on it you know you're not, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, when you're praying with scripture and especially when you're sticking to the actual form of Lectio Divina, there's these guardrails where it's like you don't, you don't have to worry about getting off track or worry about, is God really speaking to me? Or no, you can know because you're in God's word. And so it, it's just a fantastic way to learn how to pray. I think, you know, after... After just basically, like, silence, learning to spend time in silence, I would say this would be, like, step two of learning yep. to pray in a lot of ways. Agreed. So, um, anyway, on to the format itself, the good part. This is, this is where we learn how to actually pray Lectio Divina. And just so you know, if some of you might have heard Lectio Divina explained before, um, some of you might not, but if you hear anyone else explain it, almost everyone's is a little bit different. Oh, yeah. It, so, you know, you can do a Google search for Lectio Divina and how to do it. And if you search 10 pages, you're going to have probably 10 slightly different probably forms. 12 results. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of 12 results. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So um, this is like a basic form, but I'm I'm really of the opinion that sort of like the the more fluid style, like what I was describing. I think that's very helpful. But when you start out with Lectio, I really recommend sticking sticking to the form, doing sort of exactly what it says, and it will help you through the process. And as you do that a lot more, it'll, it'll become more fluid. Um, so stick to the structure and then become fluid over time. But essentially, depending on who you ask, there's anywhere from three to five parts <laughs> to Lectio. Yes. And they're all essentially the same. Some of them just kind of combine different parts. But this is how I would say it. 
There's lectio, meditatio, oratio, contemplatio, and resolution. I you, add that one in. You don't you don't have a Latin word for resolution? Resolutio. <laughs> oh know. my goodness. I'm gonna look that up. I don't know. What is what does Ignatius use? <laughs> uh I don't think he, he yeah, he doesn't have that Latin word there, does I he? I I've never heard that one in a Latin word. But anyway. We're gonna find out. Yeah, what you it is. Can, you can do a search and I'll I'll explain this. So the first part, each of these what you do each of these steps you read scripture, and then you have a time of silence. And you start out with the Lectio, and it's a relatively short time of silence, maybe like a minute or so. Um, and what you're doing is you read through the passage, and you pay attention to what word catches your attention. And I emphasize one word, because otherwise we can get caught up into like, oh, this paragraph catches my attention. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. too much too much when you pray with lexio you can do it on one verse you can do it on less than that in, in certain circumstances so start with a small chunk to pray with overall and then zero in on just one word yeah and it doesn't have to be the most important no and the way i like to explain it too is it's sometimes the word will like jump out at you sometimes yeah you'll like get laser focused in on it you know it's all whatever just kind of catches you. Like sometimes you'll even be walking by and it's like, you know, you get caught by something. You're like, ow, oh, and yeah. sometimes you're reading like that's the kind of feeling you get. You yep. get caught by that word. Yeah. I would almost think of it in a way of like, where, where does your mind get caught? Mm -hmm. Like, just like that, where yep. like you're reading through a passage and you start thinking about like, you know, this particular word reminds you of, you know, something that happened earlier that day. And okay, well, that's probably it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So then you just take literally a minute of silence and you just talk to God about that word and you just soak in it. That's step one. That's the Lexio portion. Then the meditatio. So this is where you dive deep into the text. The emphasis is on the text. So stick, what I would say is in the meditatio, and this is so key, if you don't get this right, your whole lectio will go off the rails. Focus on the literal words in front of you. And so what I'll, one of the things that I will prompt students with whenever I'm leading people through the meditatio portion is what, did, what is Jesus telling you about himself? And then what is Jesus telling you about yourself? Ooh. And so those are the two questions. You don't have to do both. You can sit with one or the other. Um, but just sit with it and look directly to the passage. Like you don't, you don't have to get creative. You don't have to like, you know, get down the rabbit hole. What is Jesus telling me based on the passage in front of me about himself? And that's how you do the meditatio. Stick, like really stick to the passage and then soak on it. You're, mm. you're just like, you're really sitting with, that word with the text itself, um, you can definitely draw from the word that you got in the Lexio portion. Uh, but this is really where it starts. This is the foundation for the whole rest of the Lexio. In my opinion, that's actually one of the most important parts for getting the rest of it right. So then we have the Oratio. This is the third reading. So remember, each of these times we're reading through the passage once, we're praying a little bit longer each time. So maybe the Lectio is one minute, 
the meditatio is like two or three minutes and then you get to the oratio so oratio like i said conversation think of speaking oration if that helps you remember so this is the portion where we have a conversation with god and so um one of the ways that i will prompt people with this and this is one of many questions you this is just an example but what i will say is what is jesus speaking to me today related to this passage like how how does the passage in front of me relate to my day today uh, that's a really good way to start a conversation with jesus um, because most often it's like Lexio Divina isn't abstract. It's meant to speak to us in particular in our day-to-day. So I can't emphasize that enough. Take it out of the abstract and bring it, make it very personal and have a conversation with God about it. And then the fourth step, the contemplatio. Some of them kind of combine these two. I often kind of combine the oratio and contemplatio. But essentially this conversation, what it leads to and this is really the bulk of the time, or should be, is resting in God's presence. So I want you to, I, I've used this example before, but let's say, let's say you're listening to, um, you know, some music. Uh, maybe you're listening to like a worship song. And if you've ever had that moment where the music just stops and it's just like there's silence and, and you just like don't even want to breathe, it's just so still. That's what contemplation feels like. And so that's what we're going for. And Lectio Divina can lead us into that. Um, so that's all we're doing is just resting in God's presence. There's, there's nothing else that you need to be doing in that moment is, but just resting in God's presence. And then resolu- resolutio. <laughs> is that really the word? That is really I figured. the word. They just backspace the N. Okay. <laughs> resolutio. So... Essentially, not, not everyone adds this in. Some don't even mention it. I really take this from Ignatius. He has sort of a different way of doing Lectio Divina. Um, but I think this is a really important part. The resolution is where you take action. That's, that's the key. Ignatius, he was always a man of action. Yeah. If you know anything about him, he was a soldier. He, he always thought that prayer should lead us to action. And... Essentially, what, what I do at this point is this is where you're done with Scripture, you close the Bible, and you just take literally one minute and say, okay, God, how do you want me to respond to what we just talked about? What, what change do you need me to make? And what I would say is when you're doing this sort of prayer, I try and keep it really concrete because prayer— you know, a lot of a lot of people have a tendency to make it super abstract, and that can be okay at times, but sometimes you just need something really concrete to latch on to. So I try what I try and do is find something that you could do to respond to this, like before you go to bed tonight. And oftentimes I'm meeting with college students late at night. So like you know, it's nine PM and granted some of them might be up until, you know, two, three in the morning. (laughs) So maybe they still have plenty of time. (laughs) But the point is, is that, you know, when you're thinking in those terms, one, it has to be super concrete and two, it has to be super small. 
Yeah. It has like it has to be something like I'm going to read one verse of scripture before I go to bed tonight. That's really doable. Doesn't matter how busy you are. And that can be a concrete way of responding. Similarly, some people might say something like, I feel like God's calling me to trust him more. Like, that's a really common one. Kind of generic. Um, but okay. Well, how do you turn that into something that you can do to respond to that? Are you going, are you going to trust him more by maybe... Um, but maybe re- repeating a scripture passage or memorizing a scripture passage related to trust. I mean, that that could be one way. It's certainly not the only way. Yeah. It, and it's really going to depend on that conversation you had with Jesus, right? So I really try and push people to make it concrete and take action on it. Now, I do want to be careful here because I was, I was like pondering all of this stuff in preparation for this episode and stuff like that. And it's like, really, the purpose of prayer isn't action or it isn't just action. Like, it is good to just soak in God's presence for that purpose alone. So I don't I don't want to neglect that. That's so important. Um, But at the same time, the purpose is really both. Like, it's really the action, but it's but also the contemplation. Sometimes it's more one than the other, but we really need both. The reason why I emphasize action so much is one because that's sort of my personality, but also because I know when I'm with a lot of students, a lot of people need that, need the push to action. Yeah. Because I just know so many Christians that read scripture, you know, they consider themselves disciples, but they don't necessarily take action on God's word. You know, it's like be not only hearers of the word, but doers also. And so like I'm trying to raise up a generation of doers of the word. Um, yes. But we also need the contemplation too. So we need that balance is what, I, what I'm trying to say. And the more you do this, it, like if you're doing Lectio Divina, let's say every day, you're probably not going to have some like specific concrete action every single day right. at some point. But at the same time, if you're doing this less frequently, maybe every time you do Lectio Divina, you need to... you need you might need to have this to draw you to action. Sure. So you kind of got to know a little bit of your personality. Are you the person that needs this like call to action or are you the person that, you know, is often going, going, going and you need this time to just like rest in God's yeah. presence. So it's all That's about good. like recognizing what God's doing in your heart. Um, and also knowing a little bit about yourself, but my, my best advice Keep it really simple. Follow the form. Uh, use the daily gospel reading. I wouldn't even recommend anyone go beyond that. Unless you've been doing this like a really long time, don't even go beyond that because otherwise it just gets too complicated. It right. gets too hard. You can have a bad experience because you're like, oh, I chose this passage, but it was like, maybe it was just hard. Maybe you didn't know enough about it to really like dive into it. Whatever. Just stick to the gospels and just do it. That's right. I'm such a pro. I do Lexio from the book of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> that's not true. I just, I made that up. That's, that sounds terrible. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Stick to the I gospels. Thought, I thought maybe you were going to say, um, like the genealogies and is it first Chronicles? I think oh, where man. it's like 10 chapters man. of genealogy. I, I still think numbers is worse. Yeah. Numbers would still be worse. <laughs> Oof. Cause even like with the, never mind. 
Yeah. Keep it simple. Use the That'll gospel. be a different episode. That'll be a different. <laughs> that's right. We'll go yeah. through the book of numbers next week. Yep. Yes. yes. We'll read it beginning to end. <sighs> next year. Year two of yeah. BYOB yeah. numbers. Yep. The follow up. The unimportant books. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's no such thing. Uh, we just got a bunch of hate mail. Yeah, I do. heard it dinging. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, that's all I got for today. So we'll see you guys next time. See you next week.